As we begin tonight, I want to kind of give you a little imagining that you can settle in your hearts. You can kind of imagine that Jesus had gathered now the disciples onto a hillside, and as he gathered them unto himself, a multitude came with. And so the disciples are sitting at the feet of Jesus, and then scattered out below him are these multitudes, and the multitudes began to fill in as Jesus began to speak. And so it was a lot like a church, open amphitheater. And as he began to speak, he was going to speak to them of the kingdom. He was going to give them kingdom principles. He was going to teach them kingdom living. He was going to speak some things to them that are so strange and so bizarre and so counterintuitive and so unbelievably different than the world then or now operates that to them they were probably wondering to themselves how can this be? What is it that he's saying? And seeing the multitudes in Matthew 5 and verse 1 he went up onto a mountain and when he was seated his disciples came to him and said and he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven father tonight would you teach us your ways lord would you be in our midst lord as we've gathered together lord very much like the disciples gathered with the multitude on that hill overlooking the sea of galilee lord would you in this place burn into our hearts this first beatitude Lord this thing that is so hard for us to do so hard for us to live out Lord instruct us Lord would we absorb as the apostles did and they remembered what you said because they wrote it down and so God would you write those things on the tablets of our heart tonight we bless you we thank you and God's people all said Go ahead and take your seats. And so as Jesus is ministering to this this multitude of people, in that multitude would have been a congregation much like what we see here. And as as Jesus was speaking to them, I mean, there could have been in that that amphitheater area that's below uh, the traditional place that as you traveled to Israel, as you would... As you would wander there to the Mount of the Beatitudes, as you look down at the Sea of Galilee, there, there could have there's space for 10,000 people at least. We're not told exactly how many people, but we remember that when Jesus met in this region previously, that he had fed 5,000 plus women and children. He had fed another 4,000. And so there were often gatherings of thousands of people. Because unlike today, there, there was no opening for Jurassic Park over the weekend. Uh, Jesus was the big deal on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And, and in fact, it was that people went to church for some of the wrong reasons. They went to be entertained. They went to engage in intellectual banter. And so in this crowd were all kinds of people, every walk of life. You had in them, and we're going to find out that there were 
tax collectors and there were Pharisees. There were people who were seekers. There were people who were gathered in that crowd that probably really already loved the Lord. And there were those who absolutely disdained him. And so here as it begins in Matthew chapter 5, and as we'll study all the way through chapter 7 as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, but specifically as we begin with this first attitude, this first character trait, this this first be attitude, if you will. And it has to do with something that is so unbelievably difficult, especially for us guys. And that's to let go of our self-will, to let go of our pride, to let go of that self-engagement in everything, and to allow God to take his rightful place in our lives. And it's very interesting that the first beatitude also counters the first commandment. Because the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Who is most often in the running for that other God? Me. Self. Self-will. Egocentrism. Narcissism. In our day and time, we, we throw these words around. Yeah, that person is so self-centered. Or they're so narcissistic. They follow after the, the Greek god, god Narciss. And, and it, it's just all about me. You see, we are all about me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for it's theirs that the kingdom of heaven. And very often this first beatitude, when you look at it, people are not only stunned, but they misinterpret it. And I think it behooves us to understand what's being said here. There are two basic Greek words that are used in the New Testament for poor. And the first one of those, which is used here, is the Greek word tochos. And the Greek word tochos means destitute without any possibility of having any resources to help yourself. You have nothing. No capacity whatsoever. That's not ordinary poverty, because ordinary poverty, which the word there is pencheros. Pencheros is is a type of poverty that is exemplified in the life of the widow. You remember they gave the two copper coins. She had some resources. She was poor, but she was able to do something. And the word that Jesus uses here is you're absolutely destitute of any human capacity to help yourself in the spirit. You can't do a thing about your own Sin nature, your own capacity to do the wrong thing all the time. You can do nothing. Blessed are the absolutely destitute poor. And he uses this word, and he will use it for all the Beatitudes. Blessed or happy is the person, happy is the man, joyful is the person who understands these things. And see, when we mix poverty of any kind and joyfulness in the same sentence... We're not coming up with something that works for us, amen? I don't think of poverty and joy all at the same time. Poverty and blessedness at the same time. So was Jesus trying to talk about material wealth? Was he trying to say, you know, well, you're going to be blessed if you're just poverty stricken. 
Now, that is not what he's teaching here. Matter of fact, it, it is exactly the opposite, really, in many ways, because when you study biblical hermeneutics, and that's the study of proper interpretation of Scripture, when you have something that's obscure, you use other passages that use the same type of language, and the most clear one defines what the rest of them are really getting at. And so throughout Scripture, Jesus actually said, the poor you will have with you always. He was acknowledging there will be poor people. He also would go on to say, he says, look, you're supposed to help those who have need. You can't help people who have need if you yourself are also in need. So he wasn't teaching material poverty here. He, he, he wasn't sitting there saying, you know, you guys just need to be so poor that just you'll take everything in. And let me give you an example of how that's happened throughout time. When you look at those who practice ascetism or monasticism, and they go out and they, you know, they go live in a cave someplace, and they sell all of their goods, and, and they do everything they can to get rid of everything they have so that they can somehow be more spiritual, it does not work. And in fact, some of the most vile despicable things that have ever been done in the name of religion have been done by monastic orders of people. They ended up being criminal in their activity. They were often perverted in their sexuality. They had all kinds of stuff that was just racking their minds. So it isn't about you getting rid of enough stuff so that the Lord would you know, somehow bless you. It's you have to be so empty of your own self that ultimately he can fill you with whatever you need and whatever he sees you need, he will provide. And so we're not beggars in the sense of poverty-stricken. We're bankrupt before God of our own ability to take care of ourselves. And so he, he looks at, at this crowd and he says, Look, rich people have distractions that poor people don't. That's true. But poor people have distractions that rich people don't. That's also true. So it isn't about the material things in life. It is a condition of the spirit, not a condition of the wallet that Jesus is speaking to here. And so as he begins his public ministry, and that's what he's really doing. This is where he begins his public ministry. Think of it. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head, and, and he was not poor of spirit. Amen? He was filled with the spirit. In fact, when he was baptized... It was actually evidenced in his life. Paul himself was beaten, imprisoned, but he didn't have to beg for bread, so he wasn't completely tochus. He was not completely without his own uh, resources. And so to be poor in spirit is to recognize one's own inability to spiritually take care of your own life. It's to recognize, look, I need the Lord. A lot of Christians don't need the Lord. It's kind of a crazy thing. Matter of fact, you could almost take the Lord out of their life and the Lord would be substituted with service, it'd be substituted with church, it'd be substituted with reading good, you know, Bible-based books. There's all kinds of things that you can stuff into your life that you, you still aren't empty. You're actually full. They may look better than other things, but you're not empty enough to where the Lord can fill you up with what really is best understood as true humility. We don't like humility. Matter of fact, we, we kind of live in a society that says people who are, who are humble, people who are poor in spirit in that sense, there's something wrong with them. We have to recognize our own spiritual need. You see, pride and the Lord don't get along very well. And pride is self-will. 
Pride is egocentrism. Pride is saying, I know better than God. We were actually talking before service. Some of the pastors were in the, in the back and we're, we're talking about some of the things that are driving uh, the, the problems that we're facing in our country today, especially those things which are socioeconomic and those things which are related to, to our society in general. The things that are driving those things are basically the church has stopped preaching the truth and in stopping that preaching of the truth, they've gone towards the things that really a, appeal to mankind's ego. I'll just, you know, hey, I'll just make up my own rules. I'll do my own thing. If, if I think it's okay, then it's got to be okay. That is self-will. That's us telling God what he's supposed to do. That's us looking at the Lord himself and saying, look, I, you know, I, I know you wrote this in your word, but it doesn't apply to me. There's a lot of people who live their lives that way. And there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians who live their lives that way. They actually are in the business of telling God how he ought to govern the universe. And we see that in our world today in some of the drastic things that we're going through right now. It's going to be an interesting time as the Supreme Court rules on, on gay marriage. Because the Bible is very clear on that issue. And so we don't need instruction from our government to tell us what our Bible says. We need to tell our government what the Bible says. Amen? That is self-will. That is us so filled with ourselves that we're willing to say God is wrong. You don't know what you're talking about, God. We've done the same thing with divorce, haven't we? He was pretty clear. The Lord your God says thusly, thus says the Lord, I hate divorce. Now again, no bondage for those that have been through a divorce. And if you're in here, there is grace for our failures. But we cannot take what God has clearly communicated and say, look, we're not going that way because we don't believe you're right. That is pride. And God is against the prideful person. And so he's not going to pour his spirit into somebody who's so filled with themselves that they have no room for him. And so as he lays out the Beatitudes, what he's really saying is, look, you guys need to be emptied so I can put in what it is that's supposed to be there. Because there's a lot of things in there that are not supposed to be there. Amen? Amen. Pride, arrogance, lust, greed. Think about it. Think of all the things that humankind is prone to. Think of all the things that we go through on a daily basis, a weekly basis, things that we struggle with, things that we, we ponder in our hearts and minds that really, in God's Word, are so clearly decided for us. We really don't have to think about those things, and yet we do. True humility is what God desires. Isaiah 66 says, To this one I will look into him who is humble and of a contrite spirit, to him who trembles at my word. I will be gracious. You see, that's a humble person. It says, Lord, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, Lord. We live in a world that doesn't give God the time of day. Doesn't honor the Lord. Can I just tell you that God couldn't care less about your education? Doesn't mean you shouldn't have one, by the way. 
Does it mean you shouldn't do your very best if you're engaged in something that requires an education? In Jesus' name, go get as brilliant as you possibly can. But you're not impressing God. You know, he's not going to come into your office and there's five or six shingles up there and says, I have a doctor of this and a doctor of that and a master's in this and a bachelor's in that. He, he couldn't care less. He's forgotten more than you'll ever know, except he can't forget anything. God's not impressed. We're not going to, well, you know, we've been studying this a long time and you're really wrong on this issue. Why, why shouldn't we be able to abort our babies? I mean, we don't think they have a soul yet. Oh, my goodness. God has spoken on that issue. And again, there's grace. There's grace for our failings. We acknowledge our failings. He's gracious. He's kind. His mercies are new every morning. But he's spoken on the issue. So much so that he put into the Old Testament law, if you were to get into a scrap, into a struggle, and you killed a, a woman who was with child that her child counted as another life. We've got all this medical science, and somehow we, we've tried to tell God, well, you know, it's just another form of birth control. That is, that is the ultimate of pride. Telling God that the life that he knit together in some mother's womb has no value is absolutely the type of pride that Jesus is saying, look, if you want my kingdom, you've got to lose the pride. You need to get humble on your knees and say, let me speak into your life. That's humility. That's saying, look, I, I blew it. I have the wrong idea here. When you look at the cost of what some of these things have brought to our country... The abject poverty that has come upon so many because of broken homes. The destitution of heart and of mind of those mothers who have been lied to that this isn't really a child. I've spent a lot of time talking to ladies who've been in that situation who have gone through that horrible procedure to come out on the other side and realize, yes, in fact, it was a baby. And yet... How many Christians? Explain it away. He's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, the brokenhearted, the crushed, the contrite. David in the Psalms, as, as he fell into sin, as he was living out his life at a time when men went out to war and he stayed home and he has this relationship with Bathsheba, which turned sour, as we all know, goes the wrong direction. As he writes in the 51st Psalm, he just pours out his heart. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions, for I know my transgressions. And he says, my sin is ever before me. That is a humble heart. That's somebody who's willing to say, God, you're right, and I've been wrong. We don't like to do that. We like to justify. We like to kind of explain it away. It's like, I didn't really do that. You know, that's not what I meant. Maybe not. Might not have been what you meant, but it is what you did. And so God's saying, look, you have to check your attitude at the door with me. Because I'm judging your attitudes, not just your actions. 
how could they think they could fulfill the commands and, and not look at the, at, the, at the letter of the law or look at the spirit of the law without looking at the letter of the law or vice versa? You've got to take both into account. It's very interesting what happens in, in Hebrew tradition specifically. As the Jewish people were given uh, what we would call the first five books of Moses, the, the Torah, as they, as they read those books and as they, as they looked at them you know, and just studied and poured over them, they came to the conclusion that it was just plain too hard. It was too difficult that to keep the Ten Commandments and all the things that are contained in the book of Exodus, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the book of Numbers and Leviticus, when you look at all that's contained in there, it was just too difficult. And so rather than asking God to change their heart, they decided, we got it, we'll come up with the Talmud. We'll give our own interpretation of what these things say, and we'll go by that, because we can keep that. We can do that. That's our human tendency. Our human tendency is to not let God be God. Our human tendency is for us to lower God's standards sufficiently that we can keep them. That is not humility. That's not being poor in spirit. That's us trying to tell God, look, hey, you know, we don't like what you said. We're not comfortable with that part of Scripture. I want to be able to be bitter. I have every right to be angry and vengeful and spiteful and hateful and, oh, by the way, give me a bag of unforgiveness. We do that, don't we? And then we go around and we tell everybody why we're not going to forgive that person. And yet Scripture is very clear. If you do not forgive your brother who sins against you, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you. That's a pretty strong, stern warning. Why? Because God knows how damaging unforgiveness is. And so you can't lower the bar, okay, I'm going to be forgiving as long as they earn it. I can't tell you how many times I've had people, well, you know, they haven't earned my forgiveness. And I, and I usually will grab my Bible, and if they claim to be a believer, I say, could you show me that verse? I'd like to know where that is, because I've got some people I'd like to not forgive. <laughs> but I haven't found it yet, because it's not there. And so it racks at my pride. I have to say, God, what was my part in this thing that happened? What did I do? How could I have changed? What was on me, Lord? You see, when I do that, I'm actually asking God to change me and not just them. And that's a humble heart. A truly humble heart. We have a tough time with that. We don't like to do it. It grates on us every once in a while. And this was so prevalent in the life of the Hebrew people. When you traveled to Israel today, and if you happen to be there on a Shabbat, if you're there when the sun goes down on Friday, it's very interesting because many of the Orthodox Jews go check into a hotel. And the reason they go check into a hotel is so that they don't have to work. And they will spend the Sabbath in a hotel. Here's why this is important. This is human nature at work. 
because they're not allowed to do work. They're not allowed to carry a burden. They can't do those kinds of things on that day, so they have someone else do it for them. That is what the Talmud says, not what the Torah says. Because the Torah says you're not to have your servant or your animals do any work for you either. They're also supposed to rest. And so no matter how much checking into hotel you do, you're still actually breaking the law, but you're breaking it in a really sanitized way. <laughs> Hence the Shabbat elevator. You don't want to do any work, so you can't press any buttons. So it stops on every floor automatically, top to bottom. It goes up to the top, it goes back down to the bottom, goes up to the top, goes, stops on every floor. You go have somebody cook for you. You go have a machine, determine what floor you're going to get. You, you see the problem with humankind? And we're just like that. We're always hunting and pecking for the edge of what God said. For the edge of what God meant. We're looking, how far can I possibly go? I can tell you one thing in youth ministry. You get asked some pretty strange questions, especially by pubescent teenagers. You get some great questions out of them. And they always revolve around something like this. How far is too far? If I only have three beers and I'm kind of, I've only got a little buzz, is that being drunk? They'll ask you these questions. I was with my girlfriend, I was with my boyfriend. How far is too far? Is it like third and a half base? <laughs> Never do you hear from them, boy, I shouldn't go to first base, should I, if I really love my sister? They're always, how much can I do and actually still be theoretically okay with God? That's why the first beatitude is blessed is he who's poor in spirit. Man, you realize exactly how messed up you really are. How much you need the Lord in everything. And you know what? What I've realized, I need the Lord in everything. Kind of went out to, to lunch today, and I'm, you know, I'm driving, and I'm, yeah, I'm doing good. I wasn't, you know, speeding, wasn't doing anything, and I, I got to the restaurant. I do not have my wallet. I just drove all the way here without my driver's license, without my wallet. So in the back of my mind, well, nobody will know, and she's with me. She's got a driver's license. That'll count. And then I realized, no, that's sin. Then in the back of your mind, well, that's the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law you want to follow. I have a driver's license. Anybody else have those arguments with yourself? <laughs> Just share with you. Pastors do the same thing. Now, of course, I did the right thing. I said, honey, you've got to drive. I didn't have my license. I realized it when I got here. But for about five minutes, I'm going around in circles with myself. I can figure this out. Just another five minutes, Lord, and I'll have it. There'll be some loophole. My brother was a CHP officer. That should help, right? <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You see, when you start dumping all the stuff out that shouldn't be in there, and you let the Lord put in what's supposed to be there, you don't actually have those problems to begin with. 
It ends before it starts. Because you have the correct attitude about things from the get-go. And that's what we really need, and that's the focus here. That's tough, because we've got to lay down our pride, especially as guys. Man, we, we have, we've got an extra, you know, there's like, we've got some gland in us someplace. It's like the pride gland. I don't know what it is. It's right next to the liar gland. <laughs> Just saying. You can own it if you want. If you don't, that's okay. God will deal with you. But yeah, we, we, we have that issue in our lives where we're like, you know, well, we'll just kind of figure it out ourselves. We don't, that's why we don't ask for directions. Amen? Honey, so what if I'm in a new state? There are other roads back to California. I don't care. We, we want to do it ourselves. We don't go in and ask for directions. You know, you're looking for something in Costco for which you actually need a map. You know, where's the jumbo case of energy drinks, you know? You, you, you won't ask. You, you, you always think that you know best. And all of a sudden you realize you don't know everything. little secret to life, you don't know everything. But you do know the one who does. And he'd love to tell you. He'd love to give you wisdom, the ability to use knowledge correctly. And so when we view ourselves, instead of like that, to become poor in spirit, we, we really picture ourselves as we're hopelessly lost. I don't know how many of you have had that experience of, of losing uh, your children in Walmart. But those racks of clothes, they're from the devil. <laughs> and they can go inside of them. You parents who are in here and you have kids, you know they do this. And they go inside there, and you're like, no amount of mental gymnastics known to mankind will help you locate your children, right? Until you hear, we have an amber alert in clothing. And, and then everybody starts, you know, it's like God has actually spoken. Your kids are lost. We'll find you. You cannot do it yourself. You're hopelessly lost. They can just go from rack to rack to rack. <laughs> They're laughing their brains off. They're, you know, they're like, oh, we, we ditched them again, you know. Now, until you have the one time when your children realize that they're lost and they're all of a sudden panicked. You see, the Lord's the answer for both. The Lord helps you and I call on the resources that we need because we can't do it ourselves and helps our young ones also call on the resources they need by stepping out of the silly thing and saying, hey, I'm lost. That's where you get rid of pride. You, just hum you humbly admit, look, I blew it. I messed up. You see, God absolutely wants to give us these things. Let me give you some steps as we wrap this up tonight. You see, all of this is really, and this is going to shock you, is not a matter of doing anything. It, it's not something that you learn how to do. It's a matter of allowing what Christ has done to change the way we think and act. It's allowing him to do for us what we cannot and usually will not do for ourselves. Most of us don't get up in the morning, Lord, make me humble. It's like that Willie Nelson song. It's, oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. To know me is to love me because I get more perfect every day. <laughs> That's kind of the way we approach life a lot of times, isn't it? 
Instead of being humble, we're, we're actually kind of, well, I'm not, you know, not me. I don't need to be humble. I mean, after all, I'm great. First step, experiencing humility is to take your eyes off of you. Get your eyes off yourself. Seek the Lord in prayer. Seek his face. Seek his will in our lives. Let him give you vision for you. Because your vision for you probably is a little less than his. He has something for you that is so wonderful and so beyond your understanding, beyond your knowledge, beyond your wisdom, beyond your abilities, that if we will just get our eyes off ourselves, look to the Lord and let him do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The second thing, and this is hard to do, starve your flesh. Did you hear what I said? Starve your flesh. Paul put it this way. He said, put to death the old man. Ladies, that's not a command for you to kill your husbands. That's to put to death the old man, that part of you that still has the capacity to sin, that unregenerated portion of you. You're, you're in Christ, you're full, you're complete, you have the righteousness of Christ, but inside of every last one of us is a little bit of that old man still left, and it rears its ugly head every once in a while. And we need to crucify that part of our flesh. We need to starve it to death. You know, it's interesting, if you have animals, the ones that you feed the best are the ones that are the healthiest, amen? Same is true for the spirit. If you feed the spiritual man, the spiritual man will grow. If you feed the carnal man, the carnal man will grow. You starve the carnal man. Take away the things that it feeds on. And that's all kinds of junk. You know, you know what bugs you. You know what gets under your skin. You know what has attraction to you. And if there's something in your life that is drawing you away from the Lord, that is self-will. That's you want to do what you know God doesn't want you to do. And you need to get rid of that thing in your life. A third thing, and this really balances this verse too. Ask God to do it. Isn't it weird how we kind of have these strange thoughts after the fact? Oh, I guess I should have prayed. Anybody else do that? You're sitting there thinking, why is all this going on? Then you stop for about two seconds and go, oh, I didn't actually ask God to do that for me. I didn't seek his face. I wasn't on my knees. I, I didn't ask him to bless me in that way. I did not come to him so that he would work in my life. why David prayed in the 51st Psalm. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or a right spirit in me. That's what he was asking. He's saying, God, look, I messed up. You need to help me here because I can't help myself. Not in that way. I'll do my part, but Lord, I need you to create in me a right spirit. I need your righteousness in the place of my unrighteousness. I need you to bless me, God. And the fact of the matter is, is we kind of all have a built-in humbleometer, if you will, and we kind of know when we're there and when we're not in a general sense. The first thing that we can see in that regard is that we, we can see humility when we get weaned off of ourselves. When you're so hungry for the Lord that the first place you go is to God. The first place you go is to God. David actually said that in the 131st Psalm. He said, my soul is weaned like a child. I need to be weaned away from the, you, you know how children are. They're pretty self-centered, amen? 
You do not have to teach a child how to lie, cheat, and steal. You don't. Amen? You take them to day school, what do they do? They snag each other's binkies. They eat each other's blankets, each other's snacks. They steal their toys. And that's the good kids. <laughs> We're born with the capacity to do the wrong thing. We need to wean ourselves off of us. We need to get lost in the wonder of who God is again. We need to get lost in the wonder of who God is again. You know, God is awesome. Matter of fact, he's awesomely awesome. That makes him awesomer. I don't know if that's a word, but I like it. Yeah, we need to get lost in the wonder of who God is again. You know, sometimes we, we kind of leave God in this little tiny God box. And God has a little bit of a sphere in our lives. And we don't get lost in the wonder of who he is anymore. There is, is there anything impossible for God? No. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. By him and through him we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But apart from him, Scripture also declares, we can do nothing. That's humility. It's like, look, Lord, I, I want to be behold you uh, with, the, with that unveiled face being transformed into your image again. Third thing that I personally struggle with every once in a while, I'm sure most of you do too, I'm a whiner for Christ. We need to stop complaining about so many things. When God does something in our lives, sometimes he's doing a great work and we complain about the great work he's doing. Well, you know, he's blessing so-and-so and he took this away from me. He is at work in your life. Whatever he does, he does with a purpose. And l- let me put it to you this way. We deserve death and hell. That's what we deserve. So anything above that is actually pretty good. So stop complaining. Wow, I didn't die and go to hell today. If you look at it that way, every day's a good day, amen? Amen. That's why Paul would write in Romans 8, these sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in us, amen? That's why you said that. Another one that's hard for us, have you ever looked for the virtue and the character and the goodness and the things that God's doing in other people's lives and been thankful for it? Sometimes we're jealous of other people's gifts. Isn't that crazy? It's like somebody's being blessed of the Lord and we're like, well, it didn't bless me. Gosh, I don't know what happened. I don't know. When we see the strengths and we see the virtue of other people, it gives us a place that we can say, look, Lord, help me be like that's why Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. When someone else is, is being used to the Lord, rejoice in that. Give preference to them. Give honor to them. How much time are you spending in prayer? How about that one? How much time are you spending in prayer asking God to empty you out? to get rid of the stuff that's in the way. And one of the things that happens when you, in construction industry, when you're doing a remodel, if you have, you know, if you have a house that's really beyond the ability to, to repair it, we call those teardowns. The best thing that you can do is drive a bulldozer through them, scrape the lot, start over with dirt. 
Now, most of the time, we don't need to do that in our lives, but there are absolutely times when we need to ask God to do what he needs to do. And sometimes that's a little more work than we want him to do. You mean I got to let go of that thing of the past? Yep, you got to let go of that thing of the past. Because God can't fill you with what he wants when you're still filled with the things you've already got. And you need to ask God for help with that. Because it's easy to cling to that old stuff. It's that Colossians principle. And it's a great principle. Because as Paul's talking to the church at Colossae, he's he's saying, look, you've got to put off the old man. Right? And then put on the new. If you're still wearing the old man, you can't put on the new. Amen? You end up like, you know, you look like the, the kid from Christmas, you know, whatever that story is. Where he's got on like 16 different jackets and he can't put his arm down. You've got to put off the old in order to put on the new. We have to take Christ. And this is a hard one. Passage for you. I shared it with the staff a few weeks ago. It's in Deuteronomy 27. It's one of the oddest commands in all of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 27.5. You shall use no iron tools when you make the altar of God. No pride, no self-will, no iron things. You just take God who he is, how he is, what he is. You do what he wants. You don't try and change who he is. You let him change who you are. We take Christ on his terms, not on our terms. And the final thing I'll leave you with us tonight, I have the worship team come back up. And this is probably the most important of all these things. You see, if you were really poor in spirit, then virtually everything in our lives can become praiseworthy because it's something that God is doing. If we're really poor in spirit, then the things that God allows into our lives, he bathes them in his love, he bathes them in his grace, he bathes them in his mercy, and those things which he is doing, we can praise him for. So when we're poor like that, we really show the world Jesus. When we're so empty that he's got to fill us, we really show the world Jesus. And you can see that in the life. You remember Gideon there in Judges 6. He asked the Lord a question. He said, Lord, speaking of him, his own self, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least of Manasseh. I'm the youngest of my father's house. To which God answered, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. God before you, who can be against you? So if you empty yourself out, it's a recipe for success, because then he will fill you with what you need. The very things that you require, you'll have. Why Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he saw his self, and he says, man, I'm ruined. I'm undone. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. And the cherubim took the coal from the altar and went and touched his lips. And he said, Behold, your lips have been touched and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. That's somebody who's empty. 
That's somebody who's willing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Amen? We're going to have some of the pastors come forward. We're going to worship the Lord. Maybe you've been hanging on to some stuff. Maybe you have some things that have been lingering from your BC days. Maybe you've got some stuff you've never let God have. Get rid of it. You see, because the recipe for success here is, and this is, the, this is the real crux of this, if you give up your own kingdom of self-will and self-worth and, and self-promise, and you become poor in spirit, then you get his kingdom for yours. That's a great trade, friends. That's an awesome trade. That, that's truly recycling. That's garbage for gold, amen? So if you need prayer, we're going to spend some time in worship. Remember who your God is. Let him fill you. Get rid of whatever's there that doesn't need to be there. Amen?